wildly generous. And it's not something that you do. It's something that you are. Uh, and some of us, myself included, are becoming that, right? That's, that's our goal. We want to become more wildly generous than we are. And so we looked at, as we kind of explored this topic, we looked at uh, this idea that we are rich, uh, that those of us in this room, although we would not say that about ourselves, right? We don't walk around saying, you know, I'm, I'm super wealthy. That we learned that, that as we look at the rest of the world, that we really truly are rich. In fact, if you remember back from the first week of us talking, that if you uh, made $1,500 last year, 1500 not 15000 or $150,000, $1,500, you're in the top 20% of the world's wealthiest people today. That's not a lot of money. Meaning you are richer than what you know. And we also looked at that sometimes when we look at, at, at this idea of being rich and we think about all these extravagant things that we can do, we also talked about this idea that, that God really wants us to be rich in sometimes the small ways. The cup of cold water, the, the, the idea of hospitality or visiting people or just knowing people and, and spending time with them, that, that those small things matter a big deal. And then last week, we, we talked about the idea of giving from the heart, that, that really, truly, as we give, that it's a matter of the heart. And we looked at the example, remember, of, of Barnabas, this guy who, who got the name Barnabas because he was a son of encouragement. He was, he was the guy that everybody loved to be around because he was always building them up. And then we looked at the contrast of them, Ananias and Sapphira. We saw that both people gave money. It wasn't about giving. It was about what was going on in their heart. That one, out of the overflow of that, became encouraging. And the other, out of that, was somebody who was deceiving and, and really trying to save face. This week, we're going to be talking about the law of the harvest and how that kind of comes into play and how we understand that in the role of being wildly generous. But I want to tell you, starting next week, we're going to be talking about this series uh, called Christmas Lights and Family Fights. I love the title of it, by the way. It just seems really appropriate. And we're going to be going, <laughs> some of you are like, man, if you only knew, right? Um, and the reason why I love this is because we're really going to be telling, retelling the story of Jesus's family. And if you read through kind of the heritage of Jesus, you see that there was, there was a lot of tension there, right? And so we're going to be looking at that and walking through how to be hope and light, sometimes in the midst of chaos. And so I hope that you'll join us with that. I want to tell you a quick story. Maybe you've heard it before. It's about a couple named Dwight and Melba. Uh, for years and years and years, they would always go to the same state fair, fair. And for years and years and years, Dwight always wanted to ride in this biplane. He, he, for a long time, he'd been fascinated with flying and he thought that biplane was so cool and, you know, it was the open air kind. And so he wanted to ride it, but, you know, they were, they were kind of always short on cash and it was $10 to, to ride up in this uh, biplane. And every year he kind of walk over there, check it out. And every year Melba would say, you know, it looks cool, but $10 is $10. And they walk away. 
Year after year after year, Dwight would check out this biplane, look at how cool it is, and every year after year after year, Mel will remind him, listen, $10 is $10. Well, it turns out that as they kind of aged and and, uh, progressed in years, Dwight's now 81 years old, and he finally goes back to the state fair and here's the guy with the biplane, and he thinks to himself, man, I'm, I don't know how many more years I'm gonna be coming to this thing. I don't know if I'm gonna be up to it, so maybe this year is the year. And Melba walks up, and she reminds him, hey, listen, $10 is $10. He's like, yeah. Well, the guy hears this conversation between Dwight and Melba, and he says, listen, I tell you what, I'm willing to take you both up in the biplane, and it's a free ride as long as you don't say a word. You can't holler, you can't yell, you can't scream, can't do anything. If you don't say a word, it's free. Deal. So they both get in and all of a sudden this guy takes off and he's whirling and twirling through the air, all kinds of dips, dives, and rollovers. It's an amazing trip, but not a peep from anybody. And he's surprised he lands the plane and, and before he even turns around, he says, man, I can't believe this whole ride. I tried to get you guys to scream and yell, do something. But I didn't hear a peep. He turns around and he sees only Dwight. And Dwight says, listen, I would have spoke up, but $10 is $10. A preacher's got to have a joke every once in a while. Money can cause problems, can't it? Ever been there before in a relationship? Or maybe, maybe, The great philosopher, Notorious B.I.G., okay, maybe not so great, in his song, Mo Money, Mo Problems, says it like this. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. See, Money brings problems with it, doesn't it? And the way that we see money can sometimes bring problems with it, doesn't it? You've probably been in a situation before where all of a sudden you were fighting about all kinds of things and it rooted itself back to how you saw and perceived and spent money. And I think, I think, that one of the ways in which we sometimes in in the Christ follower world understand or poorly understand money is through this idea of the law of the harvest, We're going to look at that today. If you have your Bible, you can flip over into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. But I want to set up a little context for you. The context goes like this. There's inequality that's happening in the time of this writing. The inequality comes from the domination of the Romans and the suppression of the Jews. It also comes from this idea that a lot of the Jews who were working in the temple and making money from the temple lost their jobs, those who are following Christ, because they no longer believed the true religion. So if you believed and, and, and participated in uh, all the temple stuff and that's where your job was, but then you believed in this Christ you would lose your job. You would be ousted from your position. So a lot of the early followers of Christ wound up losing a lot of the things they had and therefore became even more poverty stricken. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. 
This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. There's no need for me to write to you about this service of the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians and telling them that since the last time, uh, since the last year, you and occasion were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred them to action. So here's what Paul is doing. He's beginning and, and he's telling them, listen, I, I need to tell you about something. Remember when you promised that, that you were gonna give this money and, and you were gonna help out these people in this way? Well, your eagerness to serve and your eagerness to give and your eagerness to step in and fill in the gaps has caused other people to wanna do the same thing. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter shouldn't prove hollow. But, that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. Listen, we've been eagerly anticipating. We, we've been eagerly awaiting. You, you had promised this and we're gonna show up and wouldn't we all have egg on our faces if we showed up and you weren't the generous people that maybe we thought you were. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. Then it'll be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. Here in this first part of, of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is reminding the church in Corinth of their service to be generous. That it's just a part of what we do. And in fact, he, he begins by saying, listen, I, I know I don't have to even remind you of who we are. I, I know I don't even have to really remind you of this. This is our identity in Christ, but I will. And I love this because too many times I think in churches, we, we tend to shy away. And I know that I've gone years, you know, without bringing up this subject of giving and, and tithing and, and, and giving to the church because it feels like every time you walk in the doors of a church, maybe they're talking about it. So, so for years, I kind of shied away from this. But if you notice over and over and over again in, in Paul's letter to the churches, he continues to remind them to look out for one another, to be generous to one another. And so there's no reason to shy away. Giving is an important descriptor of who the church is. In fact, it's become so much a part of their identity that as the church begins to suffer persecution, it's what they're known for. It's who they are. They step in when everybody else steps out. Now, if you know the history of the church, then, then you recognize that for a long time, Christians were tortured and killed and persecuted in a whole lot of ways. But right around 300 AD, we see this guy named Constantine. And Constantine, he, he's really, uh, he's not so much a Christ follower as he is really smart in knowing how to gather people together. And so he, he takes Christianity, which was outlawed at that time, and you could be persecuted for being a Christian. And and he redeems it. He restores it. And he says, listen, we're not going to do that anymore. You can, you can worship Christ freely. And so, of course, all the Christians are excited about this. And they no longer have to hunker down. But Constantine eventually dies. And another guy takes over. And this guy is a Roman emperor. And he is named uh, Flavius Claudius Julianus. Or, as the Christians would call him, Julian the Apostate. 
Now, you might be familiar with the word apostate. It really means to go against, to, strong, to strongly go against. And that's exactly what happened. After Constantine had, had really kind of made the way for Christians to, to, to be able to live out their faith with freedom, Julian the apostate began to restrict. And he grew up, in fact, because of his relative, he grew up understanding and seeing the Christian lifestyle, but as he described it, it was forced on him. And he didn't want any part of it. So he began kind of paving the way for all kinds of pagan uh, rituals and festivals and, and worship and, and really kind of dismissing and, and ostracizing all of the Christians. Except for the fact that he could not deny that the Christians had such a name when it came to generosity. And he wrote on several occasions to all of his administrative staff about how in the world that they, as Romans, as Romans, could take care of their area and their people, as well as the Christians, took care of everybody. Because what was happening at the time was there was mass plagues that were wiping out tons and tons of people. And as everybody would leave the area, Christians would go in and they would bury the bodies of those who had deceased because of plagues whether they were Christians or not. And this made a huge mark, and everybody who saw that said, man, I don't know what it is about those people, but I want to be around them. And they would give to the people who were poor. And they would give to the people who were destitute. They would give to the people who had nothing else, whether they belonged to them or not. And everybody said, listen, I don't know what they have going on, but I want to be with those kinds of people. And so one of the letters that, that Julian, Emperor Julian, wrote to some of his officials, he said this, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priest, then I think the impious Galileans, or a.k.a. the Christians, observed this fact, and they devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they supported not only their poor, but ours as well. And so what Emperor Julian decided to do was to try to model what the Christians were doing. But here's the crazy thing. It didn't work. They could not outgive the Christians. Although they were a small group of people and they were not super wealthy, this Roman Empire who had a stranglehold on everything else couldn't figure out how to give and serve the way that Christians had. And here's why. Keep reading along in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Stop right there for a moment. Well, this sounds good. This sounds like a good plan. This is a good start because it sounds like the more generous I am, then the more I'm going to get back. And I like the idea of me getting back. So I'm going to go ahead and give and then that will return to me. And this is what the Emperor Julian had saw. He saw that the Christians were giving and giving and giving and all of a sudden their numbers were increasing and increasing, increasing more support. And he said, listen, that's exactly what I need. I need more support. And we're losing all kinds of support. So why don't we become more generous? 
But when you separate out this from what follows behind, you're missing something. Paul's not done. Each of you should give not only what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 12, he says this. Sorry, verse 11, he says this. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you proved yourself and others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his undescribable gift. You see, Paul is pointing them to a truth a motivation and an impetus. A truth, a motivation, and an impetus. The truth is the law of the harvest. The more you give, the more you receive, the less you give, the less you receive. You can apply this in just about any kind of situation. Try it out with your spouse. If you're gracious and generous and you wake up every day and say, listen, I love you and I'm so grateful to be married to you. You do that day after day after day. Eventually what you're gonna find is that's reciprocated. But the less you do that, the less you will receive that. Take it with your children, right? The more time you spend with them, pouring into them and loving them, the more they're gonna return that because that's the ground you're building. See, the difficult thing about the law of the harvest is that you have to understand that it begins with plowing. I grew up in central Indiana. Cornfields and soybean fields are abundant. It's pretty much everywhere you look. There's, it's either a cornfield or a soybean field. And so I understood early on the necessity for plowing a field. If you don't know this, then, then maybe you're unaware, but the, the richest soil is about nine to 13 inches down below. And so the important part of plowing is that you bring that soil up so that all the plants can grab the right nutrients. Plowing is just a part of the law of the harvest. It's this time where we put in a whole lot of work, but we don't see a whole lot of results right away. And this idea of generosity, whether it's in giving actual money, or giving your time, or giving grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Whether it's being a better father, mother, husband, wife, friend, or employee, the law of the harvest is true, but it begins with plowing. It begins with hard work. It begins with digging up the things that need to be dug up in order to plant. And that's the next part of the law of the harvest, is that you begin to plant things that weren't there before. 
that it requires something of you that's not there. And then it requires perseverance. It requires you to not give up, to not give up, to not give up. James, the brother of Jesus, one of the one of the greatest reasons to believe in Jesus, I believe, because if my brother told me he was uh, God's only son, I wouldn't believe him. And neither did James. He didn't believe Jesus either until he saw a resurrected Jesus. And then he began to help lead the church. He begins to write these things about who Jesus was and what God expects from us. And as he begins his letter, he talks about this idea of perseverance. And this is what he says about perseverance. Let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I think this is where the law of the harvest becomes real. See, I believe that there's probably some places in your life where it's like, I tried it, I tried it, listen, I tried to bite my tongue a few times, but then they just kept digging and digging. And so then I was like, you know what? To heck with that, this this is just gonna happen, right? And then all of a sudden it blew up. And you thought to yourself, all right, listen, I'm gonna be a better spouse. I'm gonna sit down, but then then your spouse was a little testy that day. You thought, all right, listen, it's not gonna happen. I'm gonna be a more patient parent. I'm just gonna, and then all of a sudden you met your children. (laughs) And you're like, that's out the window. It's not going to happen. You decided that you were going to finally lose weight and, and exercise right, and then you realized you love donuts. And it isn't going to happen. That may be my own personal struggle. I don't know. Might be used to you. See, what if God is wanting to teach you something in the law of the harvest that you're never going to get until... You persevere. Until, as James says, when yet perseverance finally works through, then you'll be mature and complete. You won't lack anything there. Perseverance is the hard work that you do after the hard work you did is done. That's what perseverance is. When you work real hard and you're like, whoo, this has been tough. This marriage stuff has been tough. This this family stuff has been tough. This work stuff has been tough. This church stuff has been tough. And you did all the hard work. Congratulations. You're starting to plow now. (laughs) Keep persevering. Plowing and and planting and persevering are just a part of what Paul is talking about here in the law of the harvest. Remember, it's that it's a truth, a motivation, and an impetus. He's not done. He says, listen, you reap what you sow. If you reap rich, you will gain rich. If you reap sparingly, that's what you're going to sow is sparingly. And then he reminds them, that there's a couple of different ways to give. And you've met and probably been in these places before. He says, each of you should give not only what you decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. My guess is that you have been the reluctant giver a time or two, right? There's been a few times 
I will admit, where my wife's like, hey, listen, my back is really sore tonight. Is there any way that you could, you know, rub my back for me? And I'm like, okay. You know, half-hearted kind of, right? As, and, and, and I'm like, all right, is it feeling good now? Is, is that better? You ever had somebody who gave reluctantly before? You know, listen, you know what that feels like. And Paul talks to the church in Galatians. He says, listen, whoa, whoa. God can't be mocked. And that's why when you give to God, it can't be from this place of like half our like, all right, God, all right, God, I'm going to give a little. He said, no, 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 no. It's, it's not going to work that way. And it's not going to be under manipulation. It's not when the preacher, the pastor, the whoever it is says, all right, now it's time to pass around the baskets yet again because we haven't met that. Come on now, come on. And manipulates. You've been manipulated to give before, haven't you? And Paul says, no, 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 it's not, it's not about manipulation and it's not about half-hearted attempts. God loves it when that's what you truly want to do. When it, when it overflows from your heart, man, it's so much different. It's so much better. Paul says that, that's the motivation that God wants you to give with. It's not reluctance. It's, it's not manipulation. It's from this place that's bubbling up inside of you saying, listen, I want to persevere and I want to continue to give because that's what God did for me and that's what I do for him. But Paul's not done yet. He continues on to give us this impetus. He says this, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And at all times, through all things, you're going to have everything you need to abound in good work. Think about this idea of why things didn't work out for Emperor Julian. And he was trying to imitate the Christians, but I think that's where he fell short. See, your motivation matters. Your motivation matters. What motivates you to give matters. And I think about it like this. Sometimes when we think about the law of the harvest, it's this idea that, that somehow we're like a pitcher and we're pouring into all these other people's cups, hoping that eventually they're going to pour back more into ours, right? And then and we'll give out a little bit more and they're going to pour back more into ours. And eventually we're going to have a full pitcher and it's going to be great. But when I read this scripture, what it more sounds like is God wants to use you as a conduit, a funnel that you don't hold any of it, that it just passes right on through as you fill up the needs of everybody else around you. What if, what if you looked at your house as a funnel 
by which God wants to bless other people? Or what if you looked at your car as a funnel by which God says, listen, I'm going to give you this, but it's not really for you. It's to bless other people with it. And so you, you take that and, and you be a conduit to bless other people. And what if, what if he gave you 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years here on this earth? And he says, no, 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 no. It's not about you. I know you love tons. Of, it's not about you. Those years, that time, those seconds that add up, it's, it's a conduit. It's a funnel that other people can be blessed through you. And so my question is, are you using the gifts, the blessings, the opportunities that God has given you to truly bless other people? Do you persevere in those ways even when, man, even when it is really difficult? Ben, if you come right back on stage here, I want to wrap up by saying this. I think we can still be known by our generosity like the early church. That, that there's this group of people who give and give and give, not because they're manipulated, not because they're brainwashed, but because they understand the grace of God and the things that were given to them. I think we can still be known by that. That's why this year and this season, one of the things we want to do is participate in something we're going to call this year a hope for the holiday. Starting next week and the following week, we're going to ask for a kind of a special contribution, a time where we can raise some funds to give back to other people in need. And this is just one way that you can participate with us to be able to do that, to make a difference in the life of some people who, who really don't have, to be generous to somebody who may not even be a part of this group at all. Because God blessed you with so much, you get to bless other people, you get to be that funnel. But also, the day after Christmas, we're going to be partnering to help some of our homeless friends here in the community. And we have some ideas on how to do that. We're going to be talking more about that over the next coming weeks. And we're really looking forward to doing that, to being a church that is truly not we just do wildly generous things, but we are wildly generous with everything that we have. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for the way in which you continue to shape us in the more of who you are. And God, would you forgive us for the times we hold tight to the things you've given us. We hold tight to our time. We don't want to give it. We hold tight to our talents because we don't want to waste it. We hold tight to our energy our resources, our things. But God, would you help us to be the conduit to bless other people? And when we see those other people in need, God, we look for ways. Our heart fills for ways to be wildly generous to the world around us. And would we be known as people who love who love the least of these, who love the broken, who love the hurting, who love the outcasts, 
who love people who aren't in this group because you first loved us. So God, if we're not there yet as a group, would you help us grow there? Would you help us plow the uncharted ground? Help us dig up to the place that nourishes our life. Help us persevere through the hard and challenging times. God, fill us abundantly so that we can fill others. Pray all this in the mighty, awesome, amazing, majestic name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand together.